0: Cambridge Muslim College training the next generation of Muslim thinkers. <coughs> <coughs> Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahirabbil alamin. Wassalatu wassalamu ala sayyidina wa maulana Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma inni nawaitu at-ta'allum wa ta'allim wa tadhakkur wa tadhkir wa naf'a wal intifa' wa lifa'a wal istifada wal hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasulih sallallahu ta'ala alayhi wa sallama. والدعاء الى الهدى والضلال على الخير ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وقربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى سبحانك لا علم لنا الا ما علمتنا انك انت العليم الحكيم اللهم Allah وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ومولانا محمد Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala Sayyidina wa maulana Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa So firstly, thank you for uh, uh, your presence here today. It's a great honor for the college to welcome you all to this third retreat. Uh, and I hope it's <coughs> progressing for all of you uh, in the way that you had expected it to. Uh, I just want to say a few words today about one of the names uh, that the Prophet ﷺ is referred to and known as, uh, we find many descriptions of the beloved Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam both in the Hadith and the Quran, we see that Allah Azza never refers to the Prophet ﷺ by his name. He's the only Prophet that Allah Azza refers to in every occasion by some kind of honorific title. And scholars have enumerated somewhere in the region of 200 names that the Prophet ﷺ has been given. And of those names we know Al-Mustafa, the chosen one, and Nadir and Al-Bashir, the one who came to give us warning about the impending <coughs> trials and difficulties that human life presents, it, presents to us as well as the difficulties that human beings will face towards the end of time. But at the same time, he is the one who gives us glad tidings. Because he is the ultimate being who represents the absolute mercy of Allah Azza wa uh, We know that on the Day of Judgment, for example, the Prophet sallallahu will be referred to as Ahmad. His name in this world is Muhammad. And Muhammad means the one who is excessively praised. So his name indicates something of his reality. And on the Day of Judgment, he will be referred to as Ahmad. And Ahmad, for anyone who knows the Arabic language, is uh, on the pattern of af'al which means the best of someone who does something and the best of someone here is the one who praises Allah he is Ahmadul Hamideen the one who praises Allah like no other human being can praise no other angel can praise there's a group of angels whom Allah Azza wa Jalla has created that from the time that he created them all they've been doing is that they've been in a state of sajda absolute submission to Allah that's it and their entire existence until the horn blows will be in that state and it's said that when the horn blows, that's when they will finally get up and they will say to Allah Subhanaka haqqa ibadatik, that praise be to you. We have not worshipped you in a way that we should have done. And these are the angels. And even above the angels, we have the Prophet ﷺ in terms of the one who praises Allah in the most befitting way. And so on the Day of Judgment, he's referred to as Ahmad and the one who's going to be given the Maqam al who has the liwa al-hamd, the banner of praise, and he will be inspired with Muhammad, forms of praise that no other human being has ever been given before. And so one of his names, uh, what we want to look at today, is this idea of Jawami al-kalim. <clears throat> it's a name that we find in a hadith the Prophet says himself, we find in the collection of Imam ad daraqutni we find in Sahih Muslim and different variations in the collection of Al Imam al Bukhari also that the Prophet as part of a longer hadith mentions, Jawami al Kalim, I was given comprehensive speech. Now, before we have a look at the the, the, the broader idea underlining uh, this name just want to have a look at some words, the two words that make up this compound construction. Because we're going to come back toward the end and understand these words in relation to this name. So we have jawamir, and the root word for this particular (coughs) uh, noun, jawamir, the root word is jama'a, And it carries amongst many meanings the idea of bringing something together, to collect something. And it also carries the meaning of uniting something making something or bringing something into a union, jama'ah. We have 'ah, al-jumu'ah, i.e. the day that people come together for that prayer, (coughs) the idea being that everyone should come to one place, al-jumu'ah, the salat which is in jama'ah, it's a congregational prayer because we're bringing people together, we're uniting people in one place. And then a second part of that compound construction is the word kalim. the root word for kalim and we know that kalima and kalam in Arabic means speech or to talk. And kalim means to injure someone or to wound someone or to penetrate something. So we're going to keep that idea in mind while we work through uh, what, what it means. So if we go now to the, the idea of juami al-kalim as a compound uh, construction. At a very prima facie level, we can say that uh, the Prophet is able to convey many meanings in few words. And that's how it's ordinarily presented to us. But what's important for us here is that we understand if he's being referred to as Jawami al Kalim the one who can bring together many meanings in few words. What are actually words and what is the nature of language? So we can really begin to appreciate what it means for someone to have this miraculous trait. So if we see the nature of language and we're working from how we understand words, sounds and meanings, words are essentially as we know sounds. They only carry meaning because we assign to them a particular meaning. If I have this cup in front of me, for all intents and purposes, it's just an object in the world. And we agree on certain sounds coming from, out, from within us that they will signify this particular object. For someone who doesn't speak this language, a cup or a glass or whatever you may want to call it, it won't make any sense. For that person, it's just sound, it's noise. So for sound to carry any meaning, there must be some type of agreement between the people who are speaking a particular language. So we have all agreed that we are going to call this object here a table, such that when we refer to it, we can know what we're speaking about, even though it may not be in front of us. But before it becomes a table in words, it remains an object. Before we assigned these sounds to it, they're just sounds. So if you were to say to someone who say, let's spoke Chinese, didn't understand English, the sound of table is just that, it's just a sound. Or likewise, if we hear someone speaking in Chinese, we don't really, it seems like noise and and, uh, different sounds coming together. So this idea that we have sounds and we give sound some type of meaning, that's why it's Not entirely correct when we say words have meanings. In fact, meanings have words. And that's the next idea. What's this meaning that we're trying to attach sounds in a certain way that we can have some form of communication with each other. And so these meanings form an internal world. meanings exist inside us as non-syntactic units. When we speak, we speak in syntax. We have a word followed by another word in a grammatical structure. If we were to speak in a way which wasn't grammatical, it'd be difficult for people to follow our conversation. And so when we express ourselves, we express ourselves in a grammatical way. But when we think, we don't think in grammar terms. We think in meanings and ideas and what's really amazing about these things is that they exist within an internal world to us. Sheikh Abdul Hakim spoke about this yesterday. We're osmotic beings. We absorb the environment. Sheikh Sahel also mentioned that in his talk yesterday and, and Sheikh Yahya also, that how the environment impacts who we are. So if we're osmotic beings living in an environment, how are we taking in that environment? So what that means is that inside of us there exists this entire world of emotions, of motivations, of background, of beliefs, of psychology. And the things that we think internally are laced with all of these emotions at the same time. So when we do end up wanting to communicate with someone, what we're actually doing is we're reaching deep inside of ourselves and bringing out something which is coming out from an internal complex environment of all of these different emotions and feelings and beliefs. And so why do words then penetrate? Because communication is obviously not, not, not just the words. It's emerging from our internal world. And what we see outside is just the tip of the iceberg. That's all it is. We're missing the entire context because in the the actual world, we interact with our environment as, as people who are part of a community. How do we interact with people as part of a community when we don't know what rests inside of people? And that's what religion comes to teach us. Have good opinion of people. Why? Because we don't know what's inside of them. And we don't know how things are coming out, we're just seeing the manifestations of this internal world in words. And so it's not just enough to understand the words, we look in a dictionary and see what does a word mean? That's why in language theory, there's this idea of intentionality of words and extensionality of words. The intention of a word is what you find in a dictionary. You don't know what a word means, you look it up. And so when I were to perhaps mention that word, that word will carry with it that meaning which we find in dictionary. But that's not the extension that's understood by people at all times. If you look in a dictionary, for example, at the word Islam, it's going to tell you, for example, a religion of people who believe in the prophecy of the Prophet Muhammad and in the Quran and so forth. What's the extension of that term when people hear it? It's entirely different from what we find in a dictionary. So just words in themselves, (coughs) it's not enough just to see that words are enough to convey what our intent actually is. Because that word has even on the outside gathered together such an external reality that it can move away from what the dictionary actually is telling us about that word. It's gathered an extensionality to it. So how much more so obviously when we have something which is not really accessible to any of us which is the internal world so it's not only enough to try to understand the meanings of the words and the potential extensionality of those words but also from where those words are coming from deep inside us and so let's look at the prophetic speech that the universality of his message وسلم, is due to the universality of his being at the core of who he is, he is so concerned and so deeply aware of the human condition that the words that come from him are so penetrating and so moving to all of us. If you look at the Hadith, there's somewhere in the region of tens of thousands of hadith. When was the last time that we remembered a really deep conversation with someone or some words that someone may have said that we're going to carry with us for the rest of our lives. That's the companions with the Prophet How much they remembered is because of the intent and the sincerity and the matchless desire that the Prophet has toward his Lord. And that is going to be remembered. When we hear, for example, Sheikh Abdul Hakim speak, every word that he says, every sentence that comes from him, wow, we need to reflect on that, that's really deep. Imagine what that's like in relation to the Prophet And it's no wonder then that when the Prophet sallam, does speak, it's, it's so deep, it's so meaningful to the people around him that they never forgot anything that he said. They used to say that when he spoke, It was like pearls coming from him. We could count his words, and if we have this idea that words are the articulation of what we feel inside, it's not always easy to match words with what's inside us. So we may go on for an hour, but we could have said it in 10 minutes. Or sometimes we hear people saying, actually, I don't know how to express what I feel. So if you look at the Prophet there's a perfect correspondence between what he intends to say and what he actually is saying. And that being the case, he doesn't need any extra words. That the idea of superfluity in speech itself becomes superfluous. There's no need for it. And that's the idea of. Jawami' al-Kalim And so, (coughs) if we come back and look at those meanings of those words again that Jawami' al-Kalim incorporates all of these meanings because of the words that he's choosing to exactly articulate what he intends His words are such that they, they gather so many different meanings in one place His words are such that they unite hearts of people At the same time, his words are such that they penetrate and that's the original meaning of the word kalam, to penetrate, to injure, to hurt someone. We often say that his words really hurt me, his words really penetrated me, his words really affected me because that's the nature of speech. And so in relation to this name, Jawami al-Kalim, it's that, that his words penetrated the companions to such an extent. Can you imagine then what it must be like for someone who truly understands that the Qur'an is the word of God? It's divine speech, that when the Arabs would hear the Qur'an, even the ones who were so vociferously against the Prophet, well against Islam, no one was against the Prophet, those who were vociferously against um, uh, Islam as a religion, they would often go into prostration at the depth. Of what they were hearing in the Quran. Because they understood that they used, and this is narrated, you can read it in, a, in the Shefa of Qadi Ayyad. the kalam al-bashar. This cannot be speech of a human. And so, Jawami al-Kalim is the, the, the idea that it's speech, it's comprehensive speech, yes, but it's economic in its words. It doesn't need more than what it has to use to convey the idea, but it's oceanic in meaning. We find on one hadith scholars have written one whole volume. Just explain Ad-Deen al-Nasiha, Ad-Deen al-Mu'amala, on two words, an entire book, because it encompasses so much. And so looking at some of these examples, we know one of the hadith that's studied right at the beginning of any uh, formal or informal study is a hadith of intentions. al biniyat that the idea of intention has an immediate sense as well as a lifelong sense, just in these three words. The immediate sense is, we have to intend before we're about to, for example, pray, before we're about to fast. That intention takes us minutes to learn. I intend to fast in this month of Ramadan for the sake of Allah. That's it. I intend to pray four raka'at for dhuhr, facing the Qibla. It's easy to learn. But there's a part of our intention, which is a lifelong journey, and that's the verticality of our intention. How sincere are we in what we're saying, in what we're intending, in what we're desiring? Because someone can pray, but they're completely not in the prayer. Someone can intend the fast, but they're not intending the actual purpose of the fast. And so, in these three words, the Prophet is telling us, you need to bring to mind what it is that you're doing in in a legal sense. But you also remember that the actual currency of your intentions is a verticality of your intentions. How does it rise up to Allah? And we hear many ahadiths we speak about this as well. How many are prayer that people may pray? It's not accepted. Why is it not accepted? The fiqh of it was perfect. Because he's not present in it. He doesn't know what this means. Another example is hadith of Mu'adh bin Jabal, the great companion. Rabbi Allah Ta'ala Anhu He's about to leave for Yemen. This is perhaps the last time that he's going to see the Prophet And so the Prophet is giving him advice for the rest of his life. And in these three short sentences, the entire structure of our relationships is contained here. Be conscious of Allah wherever you may be. That's your relationship with Allah. And follow up every because you are going to sin. Don't make a let's not be under any illusions. We are going to make mistakes. But if you're God conscious, you're going to be conscious enough to know that when you do fall. You're going to follow it up with something good. That might just be, Astaghfirullah, I shouldn't have done that. And only someone who's conscious of Allah is thinking like that. So it's such a beautiful logical flow of ideas at the same time capturing the entire gamut of human relationships. Your relationship with Allah, your relationship with yourself. If you sin, make sure that you do something about it. And only people who have that type of consciousness, wa khaliqin nas bi hasan. If someone is conscious of Allah, someone is conscious that when I make a mistake, I'm going to do something about it. That's the type of person who's going to be, in his interaction with other human beings, comported. And that's our relationship to other people. Three small sentences, that's all it is. Jawami al Kalim doesn't need to add anything more. Oh, by the way, if you were to do that and if that were to happen, nothing. Because these ideas encapsulate so purely the the exact intent that the Prophet is trying to convey. Be conscious of God, make sure you do something about it when you sin, and treat people well and one follows from the other. And so what are some of the lessons that we can learn from this? To think carefully what it is that we are trying to say, and to convey those thoughts in a careful manner. Part of tact is choosing our words. Shaykh Yahya mentioned the book yesterday, the Miracle, the Miracle, Tact, The Miracle Worker. And it's odd because I actually just read that book yesterday morning, and I realised oh dear, <laughs> maybe not been doing things entirely correctly. It's about just choosing the correct words. That's what he's saying. And thinking about what it is that we're trying to say. What are we conveying to someone else and how that may be? Because just as you have an internal context, that other person has an internal context. And then you have the context of our environment. To be careful in what we say, to be mindful that the person listening may have a slightly nuanced understanding of what, what it is that we're trying to say. You're using words which are common Because communication is that idea, it's something that you hold in common, but it may not be understood in exactly the same way as you think you may be understanding it. And to give people the benefit of the doubt, language is not black and white. And what's really interesting here is this point. Islam as an idea in the western lands is a new phenomenon. And the miracle of our deen is a Qur'an, amongst many other miracles. (coughs) But if we were to reflect that the miracle of this deen is a miracle of language, and if we understand that Islam as a phenomenon in these lands is new, how do we get the message across to this civilization? Is it going to be because we translate certain words from our text into words in English? We're coming to realize that now, that's not enough. And so what we're now coming to the realization is that, ah, we should, let's translate the meanings. We need to translate meanings of words from our sources, from our texts, from our tradition into the English language. But that's not enough either. What we need to do is create cognitive frames. Because the, the Western world has a deep history and a deep traumatic relationship with religion. The Enlightenment, the Reformation. When you say God, it's not the same as saying Allah. When you say religion, it's not the same as saying Deen because these are beautiful words that we have in Arabic and the historical context is beautiful. But when we say these words in English, the historical context of the civilization has made it such that the cognitive frames are not the same anymore. So what we need to do right now is if we want to become people who are going to embed ourselves in this culture, in this civilization, we need to produce people who are creating cognitive frames Of what we believe. And if you look at how it was done historically in the Persian language, in the Turkish language, in the Urdu language, we reached high civilization through language, poetry, literature, songs. We began to have a deep and intimate relationship with those people because we reached high civilization by virtue of our language. Is it a wonder then, that the last communication from the heavens to man is a miracle of language? Because of the importance of what it is, insofar as what it is that we want to convey to other people. And that's the task. We can speak about what it is that we want to do. We can speak about producing great thought leaders. But before we can actually understand what that is, we need to understand what the problem is. And how we can potentially approach that problem. To approach and to, to create deep thinkers, you need to know what the deep questions are. And you need to know how to potentially go about solving those questions. And it's not a person thing, it's a generational thing, it's not one institution, it's institutions, it's peoples. And we have to all come together for this. And so, the importance of language is not hidden for any of us. We can see that the language is not black and white, of course, we can see that language is as a tool of communication, we often join incorrect words with incorrect meanings, get ourselves into trouble. Just taking time to memorize words, taking time to give people that that benefit of doubt. That's the name Jawami Al Kalim that is teaching us so many different things about just how to communicate with people, having that tact. And so. That being the case, and I was just thinking about this a little while ago. How often is it that we beg Allah to allow us to understand the words of the Prophet if we actually accept that there's such a source of divine guidance? It's not something that's coming from him. This is divinely inspired to him. He doesn't speak because he speaks. He speaks as a matter of guidance. There is not a single word that we hear from the Prophet that we can term in our lives as being mundane. The same words that he said could be mentioned by someone else and they may come across as mundane. But why is it that when he says the exact same words, they carry so much meaning? Why? Because they're coming from somewhere deep inside of him. Words can only have force if they come from someone who has that internal force. We find it in people as well. Why is it someone can speak about certain events in our religion? and two people can narrate the same story, but you're so moved by one person's articulation of it, than another person's. It's not just the words that they choose, it's the depth of what they're trying to communicate and what it means to them that affects us. And so, <clears throat> it's evidently the case then, that if, 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 it's, if prophetic speech is given to us in words, it's only the words that are, um, that the speech of the Prophet is only fixed in time by words. But at one level, the words stay, it's the meanings that continue on into each successive generation for people to have a relationship with the words of the Prophet and to keep on removing the layers of meanings. That undoubtedly that they carry. So these are just a few words. I didn't want to keep it, uh, wanted to keep it brief. Um, so inshallah we'll open the floor up if anyone has any questions. Cambridge Muslim College, training the next generation of Muslim thinkers.